I'm sorry, I'm only a year and a half out of the jungle. Um, <laughs> like that. Yeah, thank you. That's all. Kay's brother-in-law, my brother-in-law, Kay's brother in Pennsylvania, we went up uh, back Christmas a year ago, and he saw I had a flip phone, you know, and he said, you have a flip phone? And I said, yeah. And he said, I didn't know they made those things anymore. And then I said, well, you know, we just came out of the village, and, you know, we didn't even have a landline there, and, and I'm trying to kind of get used to this technology thing, so this year I'm going to wear a flip phone, and next year I'm going to answer it. So that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of how I am with technology sometimes. So you'll have to be patient with me, okay? If you would, um, I want you to look at these, these two faces here, okay? One is a Highlands man uh, who's in kind of native dress, complete with pig grease and soot. Uh, looks pretty serious guy there. And the other guy is one of the the other guy. I'm telling you, it's a it's a young man. Is a student that was at the Christian school where we served at in Indonesia last. And uh, his name is Azar, okay? And take a good look at those two and size them up for a minute. And we're going to come back to uh, Azar at the end of our presentation. I want to tell you a little bit of his story. So um, if you could turn your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 7. Um, I'm sorry. We're going to start with uh, John chapter 5, okay? Sorry. That's, that's the right slide. I'm wrong. Okay. Um, whenever we're thinking about judgment, okay, we have to keep in mind what the scripture says about it. And Jesus came to live a life as a perfect man who was God himself as well. And yet, whenever he came to the earth, uh, Philippians tells us that he emptied himself, okay, and in order to become a man. And that means he set aside some of the things that he could do temporarily, the independent use of his divine attributes, so that he could show us what it was like to live as a perfect human being on the, in the world. And so one of the things he set aside was his glory. Jesus didn't walk around shining all the time. And so um, one of the things that he set aside was the independent use of his will to do whatever he wanted to do whenever he wanted to do and to say whatever he wanted to say whenever he wanted to say it. So he submitted himself totally to the Father. And so whenever we're thinking about this issue of judgment, we have to submit ourselves totally to God and not get sidetracked on what our culture says or what our church culture says or other things, we have to be very focused on what God says about issues so we don't make mistakes, okay? So Jesus, whenever he was uh, talking in John chapter 5, uh, if you ever want to look at a, a book in the Bible that tells about the deity of Jesus more than any other, you'll look, at, look in John. It's really very clear there. And so um, he's, he begins to say in verse 19, uh, chapter 5, verse 19, he says this, and Jesus gave them this answer, I tell you the truth, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives life, even so the Son gives life to whom he pleases to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, 
that they may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I want to take a little brief rabbit trail here, okay? Whenever our culture talks about religions, they treat them sort of all on an equal basis, okay? And sometimes people will use the argument, well, we worship the God of Abraham, and so do they, and so do they, and so, you know, we're all kind of all, you know, people of the book, or we're all worshiping the same God. But here Jesus says that people who do not honor the Son do not honor the Father. You do not worship God the Father if you do not honor Jesus Christ his Son. If you do not view Jesus Christ as the Son of God, if you do not view that Jesus' death on the cross paid for your sins, if you do not view that Jesus was raised from the dead and is God himself, then you do not honor the Son, and neither do you honor the Father. So whenever we're thinking about uh, our culture, and it's a pluralistic culture, and there are advantages to having a pluralistic culture, okay? It, it helps ensure that we're not persecuted as Christians as much. But we need to be very careful about that because we cannot begin to follow our culture, what our culture says about other religions. Let's keep going. So he says, um, I tell you the truth, verse 24, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so has he granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out, of, out those who have done good will rise and live, those who have done evil will rise and be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. So all true judgment, even for Jesus himself, who was God in the flesh, God the Son, he says of himself, I can do nothing. I judge only what I hear. And he says, my judgment is just because I don't seek to please myself, but the one who sent me. So as we're thinking about our relationships and about our culture, okay, we are to stand with Jesus and say, I of myself make no judgment. This is not about my personal opinion about sin in life. This is not about ice cream or something like that. You can have your own personal opinion. <laughs> you can make your judgment about your favorite sporting team in the best college in the state and all that kind of stuff, okay? But when we're talking about sin, we are not allowed to give our personal preferences. We are only allowed, as Jesus said, he says, uh, my judgment is just for I seek not to please myself, but the one who sent me. So we have to watch this very carefully whenever we're judging. So all true judgment comes from God and basically repeating what God has said to other people. This was, the, this was the voice of the prophets, the message of the prophets, always to Israel, saying what God said, what God told them, not what their opinion was about something. So as we're thinking about this, keep this in mind. And Jesus himself saying he doesn't judge anyone. He only does what the Father says and following what the Father says. 
The next principle I want to look at, principle number two, is judging others initiates being judged by the same standard. Now we'll turn to Matthew chapter 7. And it's the beginning of the chapter. And this is the voice, this is the verse that folks love to, to quote about not judging others. Matthew 7, chapter, beginning in chapter, Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. And Jesus says, Do not judge, or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Okay? Now, Jesus says, Do not judge. If you do judge, you will be used, the same measure will be used against you. All right, and some people will say, well, don't, you can't judge me as being a liar or stealing or being immoral or anything else. You can't judge me because Jesus says don't judge. Well, actually, Jesus says he will judge, <laughs> and everyone will be judged by God's standards. Whether I judge you or not judge you, God is still going to judge you by that standard. So Jesus is saying... Whenever you judge someone, if you make a determination about whether someone is sinned or not, okay, then you need to be ready to apply that own judgment to yourself, okay? So, and it will be applied to you, he promises us. And then he gives us the illustration of the speck in your, in your brother's eye. And he says, you know, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? You know, this is... If you think about this visually, what it would look like to have a board in your eye and you're going to someone to get the sawdust out of their eye, you know, it's the, it's the idea, of, and Jesus says it later, about being a hypocrite, a person who judges another person and yet they don't do what they're judging the other person about. So what Jesus is really warning about here is hypocrisy, us applying a standard to other people and then not living up to the standard ourselves. And then verse 6, which is kind of interesting because he just tells people not to judge and then gives them the circumstances and the, the qualifications behind that. And then in verse 6 he says, Do not give dogs what is sacred and do not throw your pearls before pigs. So he just told people not to judge. And then he says, Now you're going to have to decide who are dogs and pigs. That's a judgment. <laughs> okay? He's, he's giving him a cautionary statement there about uh, kind of what is, don't give to dogs what is sacred, okay? So this is something holy. Uh, it may be, maybe even talking about the truth of God. You know, there are some people who are not ready. <laughs> you know they're not ready. Uh, maybe you need to hold off, you know, for the right time. You know, whenever I share with people uh, in conversation, uh, I kind of look for some curiosity, or, or maybe some venom or something that would be <laughs> it's responsive that, that shows me that they're thinking about these things. And so um, Jesus says, yeah, don't judge, but then now you're going to have to judge. So the, the thing about reading Scripture is we can't take just one little passage, one little snippet of a verse, one clause, do not judge others, and take it out of its context in order to make it say something that we want it to say. We have to read it. We have to read it in its whole context, and then we have to read the rest of Scripture to see. Well, does this really mean we never judge anyone at any time? Is that consistent with what the rest we see in the rest of Scripture? Okay, and what is what does God really mean by that? So, that's one of the examples. So, whenever we judge others, 
We should be willing, okay, now I expect the same judgment, the same standard to be applied to myself as well, okay? And then if you look in Romans chapter 2, Paul talks about this. He was talking to the Jewish people who judge Gentiles by the standard of God's word. And then he begins in Romans chapter one, chapter 2, verse 1. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at what point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. And now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. Okay? So we have this reciprocal relationship whenever we have to make a judgment, whenever we have to confront sin, we must be willing for the same, the same principle, the same standard to be applied to ourselves. Okay? That's number, principle number two. Principle number three. Judgment's purpose is restoration. So if you remember in Matthew 18, if you want to turn there, Matthew 18, beginning in verse 15, Jesus is explicitly asking us to make a judgment and to do something with that judgment. So when Jesus says, do not judge, what he really means is, when you judge, do not judge unless you're having a, it's a God-ordained standard. It's very clear in Scripture, and you're willing to submit to the same judgment yourself in your own life. Okay? So then in verse 15 in Matthew chapter 18, the famous part about, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault between, between the two of you. And if he listens, you have won the brother over. It's for the purpose of restoration. It's not for the purpose of condemnation. When Jesus talked to Nicodemus, he said, what in John 3.16, we know that one very well. John 3.17 was on the back of a t-shirt we had for a long time. Does anybody remember how that one starts? The Son of Man did not come to, to, condemn, to condemn the world, but to save it. Okay? This is from the person, Jesus, who's going to judge the world. He said, I didn't come to condemn it. I came to save it. But sometimes people need to know the bad news before they can accept the good news. And sometimes within our own ranks as believers, we need to, to encourage one another to walk in the faith and be careful about the things that we do. You know, we have this big criticism that people have about church people is that they're, you know, we have a lot of hypocrites here, you know. Um, I went to a, a small church not too far from here. And, you know, in, in any sizable group of people, more than one, <laughs> maybe even just one, uh, you're going to have sinners who are Christians who, who fall into sin. And the issue is not whether Christians fall into sin or how bad the sin is that Christians fall into. The question really is, do we hold each other accountable? What do we do with that? So the church that I used to go to was one of the very few that practiced church discipline. So on more than one occasion during the time while I was there, uh, people were publicly rebuked in front of the church for sinning. Now they didn't go into detail or anything like that, um, but it was 
unrepentant many times. Sometimes it was a person who, who had sinned and there were going to be some very obvious consequences nine months later, if you understand what I mean. So, um, you know, whenever, whenever the church functions like Jesus talks about here, where we go to our brother and we share with them, and if they don't repent, then we go back with two more. And then if they don't repent, then it says we tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector, somebody in need of salvation. Okay, somebody you love, you still love them, you still care about them, you still reach out to them, but they're, they're unresponsive spiritually, like they're spiritually dead. And so um, it was reassuring for me in that fellowship when people said, hey, you know, there's a lot of hypocrites in the church. And I said, yeah, you know, we have people who have sinned pretty seriously in our church too. And, you know, what happened was, you know, the elders called this person before them to talk to them, and if the person was unrepentant, we went through this procedure because this is unacceptable for a follower of Jesus Christ. And then people could go, oh, yeah. Okay, you guys are really serious about holy living. You are really serious about living according to the teachings of Jesus. But the purpose of that is restoration, not to condemn someone, to shun them. And so we have to be careful about that. Paul um, did this as well. Uh, we're going to talk about that in just a second. Um, when Jesus talked to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman, he confronted her about sin in her life in an indirect way. So they were having this discussion about where to worship. And, and Jesus said to her, go call your husband. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, yes, yeah, you were right when you said you have no husband because you've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. Okay? Sounds like 21st century America or something. Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't anything new happening. Sin has been, has been around for a long time. And, and yet Jesus confronted her. But eventually she came around and it was a point of restoration for her. God is not excusing sin. God is paying for your sin. And that's different. It's going to be very costly. And it was very costly for him. But he's willing to forgive you of it if you're ready to turn around and repent and confess. Confess just means you say the same thing that God says about it. Okay? That's what confession means. All right? Principle number four. Oh, that's the corner. Can you advance that? This doesn't seem to be going there. The battery light's not on. I may be gone. Thank you. Um, judgment is focused on the church. Uh, Paul says it. Uh, Jesus says, when your brother sins against you, that's a relationship, you know, we talk about in the, in the church, okay? In 1 Corinthians, there was this problem of gross sin, immorality in uh, Corinthians chapter 5 and Paul says what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church are you not to judge those inside of the church Paul's like you know you remember Matthew 18 this is what you guys are supposed to be doing when you when you find a serious problem okay and they weren't doing that and so he says look your judgment is to be focused within the church okay we 
you know, some people are really into like political condemnation, you know, and, and there's a place for where we as citizens of the United States in a de democratic country stand and vote with our values and with the pers perspective that God gives to us based on truth. And that's our right as citizens to do that. But our posture as a church, okay, is, is different from, you know, our posture as citizens, okay? So Paul is saying, why, do you, why are, you guys, are you guys, like, overly focused on con condemning people outside of the church? And yet you have no discipline within the church, okay? So we have to watch out for that. Our, our judgment is to be really primarily for each other, to help each other walk in faith and, and to walk in obedience. All right, last one, principle number five. Yeah, I'll need your help there. If you will, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 14. That's where we'll be looking at Romans chapter 14. Now we get a little bit more to the, to the application of, of how this works out. Romans 14 is a whole chapter on stronger, weaker brother issues, okay? And, and Paul is, is very, being very cautious with them about this, okay? So um, I want you to look at the very bottom of that slide and see the three things that we have in scripture that use that guide us okay so we have commands commands are clear commands are not based on culture okay commands are black and white issues okay we're talking about you know in the new testament it says let him who steals steal no longer okay that's a command okay it says do not be drunk with wine but be filled with the spirit that is a command. It's clear, it's concise, it's black and white. Everybody understands what it means, okay? Those are commands. Now, we can judge each other based on commands, okay? If you see a brother or a sister lying, if you see a brother or a sister drunk, if you see a brother or a sister, you know, whatever it is that's a black and white issue, very clear command, then, then that's an opportunity for us to go and to talk with one another and to try to help one another along in a way that restores people, okay? The second thing we have is principles. Now, a principle is something like, uh, do you not know that your, holy, your, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, okay? That's a, that's a principle. It's not a command but it's a concept that we're to grapple with. We have to kind of wrestle with this, okay? So if, if my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, what does that mean about what I do and what I don't do, okay? So now, everyone has to obey the principle. Everyone has to apply the principle. How you apply the principle may be different from person to person to culture to culture. Okay, so modesty in one culture will mean one thing and modesty in another culture will mean another thing. So when we were in Indonesia and we went to the beach, you know, I wore a, short, a shirt 
you know, most of the time, <laughs> you know. And, you know, I, my wife and Rachel Ann wore a swimsuit under a pair of shorts and a T-shirt, you know. And that was, that was, in a, that was their concept of modesty, okay. Now, if you go to the beach in America, you're going to see something totally different, <laughs> okay. So uh, each culture will have its, its interpretation of modesty, okay. Or, you know, maybe it's the, the issue of your body is a temple of the, of, the, of the Lord. So what does that mean? Does that mean you can't have Kentucky Fried Chicken? <laughs> does that mean, what does it mean about what you eat? What does it mean about what you put in your body? What does it mean about what you drink? Okay, what does it mean about the way you, you exercise or don't exercise? You know, my, you know, there are a lot of issues that, that that our church culture has taught us that are wrong as an application of this principle, okay? But we have to be careful that we don't judge each other based on an application of a principle, okay? So be careful about that, all right? And the other thing that we have here are examples. So sometimes we see something happening in Scripture. So like we see a pattern of things happening, like a pattern of the disciples getting together on the first day of the week, okay? But we never really have a command to do that. We have a command, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some, okay? We have that command, but we don't have a command that says when we get together. There's not a, anything in the scripture about starting you know, worship at 10.30 on Sunday morning. So, you know, then we, now we have an issue that some people will apply in different, area, in different ways. Some people may meet on Sunday morning. Some people may meet on Sunday night. You know, some people may meet other days. We meet other days of the week. We meet on Wednesdays, you know. Other groups meet at other times, okay? So we have to be careful about that whenever we're, we have like a historical example not to necessarily make a command out of it. It doesn't have the same force as do not steal, do not lie, okay? Does that make sense? Okay, so whenever we, we're whenever we judge, then we judge according to the clear commands of Scripture. And we're not talking about, you know, wearing flip-flops in church. You know, that's the, you know, you get back and maybe that's an application of a principle or something, you know. Uh, we're not talking about that kind of stuff, but we're talking about clear, clear and direct violation of scriptural commands whenever we're talking about judgment. So Paul gives us some examples in uh, chapter 14 of Romans. So he says, except those who are, whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Okay, that's what he's I'm referring to, like matters of conscience, okay, or applications of principles or examples. For one man's faith allows him to eat everything, and another man, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down the one who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced of his own mind. 
The only problem is by the time you get fully convinced in your own mind, you think everybody else should be too. So whenever, <laughs> whenever sometimes we have a conviction on something that's not a direct command, but it's how the Lord is impressed on us and, and my conscience and what I can do and what I can't do without violating my conscience, uh, sometimes we want to apply that to other people. What Paul is saying, you can't do that. You're not allowed to do that. That's not the kind of judgment that we're talking about. So he says, so uh, he does so, talking about uh, regarding one day special. Um, he who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats meat to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So that whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? This is the kind of judgment I think that Jesus is talking about. Don't judge other people, okay? Based on what their conscience has led them to believe about applying a specific principle or applying an example that is written in Scripture, okay? So he says, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat, as it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, verse 13, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or an obstacle in a brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean by itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. So he says, that's kind of interesting the way he says that. Um, he says, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. I remember I had a student in my class years ago whenever I taught, and we used uh, playing cards. We took out all the face cards, and we used all the number cards, and I was using them with a third-grade class, and we were doing adding games with them, and they were playing kind of like a war you know, game where they flipped down cards who could add two numbers the fastest, and then they would get to keep the cards. And, and anyway, I had this one little boy who was challenged, and, and he said, Mr. Dawkins, is it a sin to play with cards? And I thought, oh, no. Now this, this kid's going to go home, and <laughs> I'm going to corrupt this little kid who's in third grade because he's been playing cards. And I said, I don't know, Billy. What do you think? And he said, it's okay, the Lord will forgive us, you know. <laughs> you know, but it was, it was that, you know, what did he feel about it? There is a part where, you know, when my, my own kids, when they were younger, and, and um, especially Rachel Ann and Gabriel, I tried to teach them to be sensitive to their conscience 
and to listen to their conscience. And if they feel like something is wrong, even though they can't find a command or anything against it, then they should back off and not do it, whether it's something they see on television or whatever. And, you know, just this week, the kids were watching the video, and we hadn't previewed it. And uh, it was, you know, a, like a kids-type kids video. Uh, but, you know, someone got killed in the video, and they're not used to seeing that, you know. And uh, when my daughter immediately got up and turned it off. Nobody said anything to her at all. She just immediately got up and, and turned it off. And so there's this aspect of this in which we're going to have our, our relationship with God is intensely personal. And there are going to be things that you can do that I can't do because it bothers my conscience. And there are going to be some things that are not commandments of God, okay, but applications of principles. There are going to be some things that I can do that you, you won't feel good about that. And what Paul is saying to us is we're not allowed to judge each other about those things. Now, if we're talking about lying, stealing, adultery, worshiping other gods, we, we will, we will, those are black and white issues. It's not what I'm talking about at all. Okay? But when we talk about the application of a principle, something like your, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, okay? then we, we need to leave each other some freedom to negotiate that with the Holy Spirit and God in each other's hearts. Because each one of us has a different propensity to sin in different areas. And so you'll have some people who will not watch any TV at all. And you'll have some people who will never take a drink of alcohol. And you'll have some people who will be in a, a different part of the spectrum on that. Okay? But because the command is do not be drunk with wine, okay, we still hold each other accountable to that standard. Okay? No matter what God leads us in our conscience to do. Okay? So, this is uh, reminded of a, another example of, of judgment. We were, when we were on the field one time, folks would come out into the village and see the work that was going on there that we were involved with with the school. It's a small Christian school in the highlands of Papua on the island of New Guinea. And um, it was a great, some great things were happening there. So other people would come out. Some people were kind of like interns. Some people were interested in working there. Uh, some people were from the government or international organizations who wanted to see what we were doing. And so we had this guy who was, um, from the, he was studying to be an Anglican priest in the UK, in the United Kingdom. And he came out, and, and we were talking, and we, I had a, a little Bible study during that time. And we were talking about um, guns. And in the UK, it's illegal to have handguns. And so we were talking about this issue, and I was telling him, you know, like from my perspective, you know, and from an American Christian perspective about, about guns. And then, and then he said, well, if somebody in my congregation had a gun, I wouldn't serve him communion. And I was like, whoa, man, that is, that's pretty strong, <laughs> you know. And, you know, he, in, that, in that country, there's the legal aspect of that it's actually illegal to have a gun. And then um, I was kind of, you know, like, oh, you know, why would you say that? You know, and then he was talking about Jesus turning, Jesus tells us to turn the other cheek, okay? Someone slaps you on one cheek, you turn the other cheek. And this is the way that he applied that principle. There's nothing in the Bible that says you can't have a gun. Of course, they didn't have guns during that day, <laughs> you know, so... Um, I was telling him, you know, well, 
you know, I look at that and it's like uh, a personal insult. It wasn't somebody trying to kill you, they just slapped you in the face. You know, it's an insult. And Jesus says, you will be insulted. Okay, don't feel like you have to return insult for insult. Okay, um, but the Old Testament talks about if somebody breaks into your house and someone strikes them so that they're killed, then the person is not guilty. So the scripture, scripture clearly says here that, you know, a person has a right to defend themselves in their home. You know, so um, anyway, he was, he's kind of not buying that. But it's just an example of like a principle that somebody has taken and made an application to, and then now they've made a judgment based on their application rather than just backing up a bit and saying, well, well, Mike, how do you apply that principle in your life? What do you think? We, we have to apply the principle. We have to obey the principle. It's part of the teaching of God. So we still have to deal with that. But um, how that's going to work out will kind of depend on us and our, our consciences and our culture and, and how we deal with things. All right, back up to this picture. This is uh, Azar. Um, Azar, as you notice, has long hair. Um, I don't know what you think about long hair. The scripture does have a little bit to say about long hair. Um, Azar's father is a Muslim. His family are Muslims. But they're probably, uh, it's like a veneer, a, a Muslim veneer on top of animism. Because Azar has long hair. He's, he was the firstborn son, and he has long hair in order to confuse the spirits about his identity. Because maybe they won't know he's a boy if he has long hair. So Azar came to our Christian school, and his father agreed to have him in our school. And you know, we were very upfront about uh, people who are from, from other religions. And you know, we're going to sing praise songs to Jesus, and, and we're going to you know, memorize scripture. And Azar did all those things. And um, his teacher, when he was in third grade, when Gabriel was there, showed a video. Um, and it was the life of Christ, and it showed the crucifixion. And, and it really touched Azar to tears about what Jesus had done. And um, I don't really know if Azar has a real complete understanding um, and that he's a believer. But he's, he's getting some exposure at that Christian school in the Highlands. And, you know, there's a point at which we have to say, hey, you know, sometimes we're kind of all somewhere in that journey in our understanding of God in our relationship with God. And some of us, we already maybe have some problems that we've kind of dealt with, and, and, and God has given us victory over that area of sin in our life, and there'll be others of us that still struck, struggle with those issues. And so we need to be patient with one another in this, in this issue of judgment and accountability, because we have this, you know, the scripture that says, you know, take heed if you think you stand, because you might fall, so that we have you know, within ourselves, the own capacity to fall. And we see it over and over again. It doesn't matter if they're a church leader somewhere or just an average person in the church, that people have fallen into grievous sin, even after people thought they were great, you know, committed Christians. And so um, as you're thinking about your life and applying these things, you know, um, you know if, if you ever had that feeling... <laughs> That feeling that, you know, someone's doing something wrong and you need to go say something to it, to them about it. So that feeling we need to check. Are we applying God's standard, God's clear command to a person? Or is it an application of a principle that I need to kind of let it go 
okay? Or maybe I just need to ask the person, hey, uh, about this principle, how do you apply that in your life and see where they are and what God's dealing with them on, okay? So is, are we applying God's principles? Are we ourselves willing to submit ourselves to the same kind of judgment? Are we applying the judgment to ourselves as believers within the church or is it just easier to talk about those people out there who are doing something wrong and not applying it to our own selves? And are we giving each other freedom in areas of conscience? So I want you to prayerfully consider that. And we're going to go to our invitation now. And if God is really dealing with you in some area, um, the scripture says the Holy Spirit convicts people of sin righteousness and the judgment and if the holy spirit is convicting you in some way may not be salvation it may be he's convicting you about being judgmental over something that's not an explicit command in scripture or that you need to go and ask someone for forgiveness or maybe you need to go and to begin to apply this principle where you have something against the brother but you're afraid that you know you're not allowed to to have any kind of judgment at all so if that's the case, then come and pray. I'll be glad to talk with anybody if, you, if you'd like to, but we'll ask Carol to come lead us. Thanks, Carol.